0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special message. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: There was a cosmic abyssal water that enveloped the earth and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Now, listen, some people see a gap. Watch this. Some people see a gap between verse one and two. They call it the gap theory. And they say that there was an initial creation in verse one. And then in verse 2, there was a subsequent creation. And the reason they say that is because of the word I had you circle, was. The word was in verse 2 is the Hebrew word hayata. Write it down. H-I-Y-A-T-A. Hayata. That word hayata means became. So people who believe in the gap theory, they teach that the earth became without form and void. And then they will take you to Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So those who hold to the gap theory will tell you that there was some pre-Adamic cataclysmic catastrophe between verse one, are y'all listening? Between verse one and two of Genesis, they also believe, those who hold to the gap theory, that between verse one and two of Genesis is where we have the fall of Satan, where um, Isaiah 14 Matt, look that up for me, please. Isaiah 14, where we find the seven I wills of Satan. I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the most high God. Isaiah, four, Isaiah 14? Isaiah 12. Isaiah 14, 12. Read it. Read it loud. Matter of fact, stand up.
0: How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit.
1: If you notice... Uh, if you'll count them in your own time, Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, is that correct? You will find he says the words, I will. And you contrast that with the seven I will statements of of, of Jesus, the seven I am statements, pardon me, of Jesus. But many believe that it's in this period between verse one and verse two that that text was what was happening and when satan sought to exalt himself above the throne of god that's when god kicked him and a third of the angels out of heaven well listen this is possible that satan did fall between verses one and two that's possible but i have to tell you i don't know i wasn't there verse two look at it again Tohu Vabohu, the earth was without form and void. Everything was in a state of disorder and God bought order. Verse three, then God said, let there be light. In your margins, in your Bibles, I want you to write this. These are the first recorded words of God. God said, fiat lux, fiat lux, f-i-a-t, Looks. That's Latin for let there be light. Think about that. God spoke light into existence. I can't comprehend what that means, except to say that's awesome. Ex nihilo, something from nothing. No one can do that. Are you listening? No human, no devil, no angel, no created thing can do that. Only God has that kind of power to say, let there be light. Light like be in the Hebrew and light like was. Only God has. But that's why we say he is the all powerful God. Are y'all feeling me? The all powerful God. Because only he can do that. Only he can say, like be. Now, there are many Christians, listen, who believe that through the power of confession, listen to me close and stay with me. Many Christians, there are some Christians who believe that through the power of confession, you can create anything you want. You just have to believe it and you'll receive it. Positive confession, they say. Y'all heard of it? Positive confession, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, take it, make it, it's yours. That's what they believe. And they believe that based on Romans chapter 4, where God said concerning Abraham that God speaks those things that be not as though they were. So they say, well, God said in Romans four that God, you know, uh, speaks those things that be not as though they were. Therefore, through positive confession, I can speak those things which be not as though they were. So I be not have a black Cadillac with tinted windows, but I can speak it into existence. Okay, listen, that's crazy. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's just crazy. Not only is it crazy, but it's, it's, it's horrible hermeneutics. It's horrible exegesis. It's very good isogesis. Isogesis means to isolate a text and make it say what you want it to say. Exegesis means to read a text in its context and determine what it says based on what's here and what's below it. I usually tell you when somebody listen, y'all get a little extra bone because you gave a third service, all right? And I got a little extra time. I usually somebody show you something in scripture, and they tell you this is what it means. What all you have to do is read five verses before and five verses after, and generally you will get the context. God calls those things which be not as though they were. Really? Well, read five verses before and five verses after, and you'll see that God is talking about the seed of Abraham. He's not talking about your pink polka dot Cadillac. (laughs) Amen. That's just ignorance of the word of God, ignorance of your position before God, ignorance that you are not God. Did you know you're not God? Ignorance that you're not God and you can't speak anything into existence. You can't get your kids to even do what you want them to do. let alone speak something into existence. <laughs> Say amen, parents. You trying to get your kids to clean the room, they won't even do it. You talking about speaking something to existence. <laughs> Start at home. God speaks things which be not as though they were. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be—that's uh, we call this the Ten Commandments of creation. God said, "Let there be light." In the Hebrew, let light be light was. When God saw there was light, He sat back and He said that. Is good Now, I want you to note something, and I don't want you to miss it. The earth was without form and void, um, lifeless and empty. It was void of darkness until God said, let there be light. In other words, it was God who spoke light into the darkness. Think about it. This is exactly what God does today in the hearts of sinners, doesn't he? God brings light in the midst of darkness by his sovereign power. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I have it for you on the screen. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Watch this. Paul sees the original creation. Leave that verse there for a minute, please. Paul sees the original creation of light as a picture of salvation. And Paul is making the point that if you insert some convoluted concept of evolution into the book of Genesis, you're messing with the sovereign, divine, instantaneous miracle of God who gives light to the dark universe. Paul is making the point that if you mess with the creation story, you're basically messing with salvation. Jonathan Edwards called this the glory of redemption tucked into the testimony of creation. Gosh, I like that. The glory of redemption tucked into the testimony of creation. Verse 3 and 4. Then God said, let there be light. There was light. And God divided the light from the darkness. The light was called the day and the evening was called the what? Night. This was the first day. The word day in the Hebrew language, write it down, is yom, 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 yam. Sound familiar? Can anybody think of a word we use around here with Yom? Yom Kippur, there you go, the day of atonement. There are people who argue what God did uh, and what what did God mean when he said day. Was it a 24-hour day like our day? Was it a day like in a period of time, like the day of the Lord? Or was it a day like in an undisclosed period of time. For example, some people say that God created the world in a day, and then a billion years later, God created the next day. Like day two of creation. And I think honestly, uh keep it simple. Uh, say what the Bible says and, and don't make more of it than necessary. Uh, somebody say amen. In other words, a day means a day. Wasn't that deep? <laughs> Profound. A day means a day. A day speaks of a literal 24-hour period of time. For God, 24 hours, think about it, is a long, long, long time. Think about that. For God, that's a long time. It could have been that the six-day creation could have been the six-second creation. Because God could have created everything, all six days, in just a word. If he can say light being light was, he certainly could have created everything in one failed swoop. Right? So a day... 24 hours is a long time for God. When God says the evening and the morning were the first day, that seems to refer to a 24-hour period. Now, saints, stay with me. I'm coming in soon. Listen, notice it says the evening first. Are y'all picking this up? Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? It says the evening first. And then the morning, we say the morning and the evening was the first day. God says, and the Jewish people say the evening and the morning was the first day. You see, to the Jew, when they see the first three stars at evening, that's the beginning of the day. And that would go all the way through the next day till evening, that's the first day. So on the first day, God said, let there be light and there was light, interesting. If God said in verse three, I want you to look at verse three and stay with me. If God said, let there be light, yet the sun and the moon and the stars aren't until the fourth day, look at verse 14 through 19. Fast forward, just peruse it, verse 14 through 19. The sun, the moon, the stars aren't until the fourth day then how can there be light when light was created, not until the fourth day? The answer, I don't know. (laughs) You're hearing that a lot today, aren't you? I don't know. But I will speculate as others do. I will give you my opinion. And here's my opinion. Number one, we know that God dwells in unapproachable light, yes? Uh, In the Old Testament, we have what is called the Shekinah glory of God, which was a visible manifestation of God's presence. It could be that God created day four, sun, moon, and stars, but the light God is talking about here is the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, We're not sure. Uh, It also could be what we call effulgent light, I'm giving y'all words that you haven't heard in maybe a long time or ever. Effulgent light. Uh, fulgent light is uh, light. Uh, it means the outshining light. For example, we have in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that tells us that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of his person. That Jesus is the effulgence of God the Father effulgence is not to be, I'm trying to teach you something, listen. Effulgence is not to be confused with radiating or a reflector. Jesus isn't reflecting the light of the Father. He is the effulgence or the outshining of the Father. So when we get to heaven, we won't need light. Don't y'all know there's no CPNL in heaven. Amen. Won't need it because Jesus will be the light. And I'll tell you two things. What makes heaven, heaven is Jesus is there. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. You ought to be happy about that. And what makes heaven, heaven is Jesus there. And also heaven will be the brightness of heaven. Won't be light bulbs hanging around. The light of Jesus, the effulgent light of Jesus, the outshining light of Jesus. So here's another speculation that on day one, God created light, but it didn't become visible because of the canopy that surrounded the earth. Again, speculation, I don't know. Listen, saints, you either believe this stuff or you don't. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. I sat in my office yesterday and I thought about this. I thought, what is nothing? Doesn't it make you go, hmm? What is nothing? Nothing. Nothing is kind of incomprehensible, as well as incomprehensible. But nothing is nothing. God created the world. Ex nihilio out of nothing, it doesn't say before God created the heavens and the earth, there was stuff floating around in the outer space, and God grabbed some stuff and created the heavens and the earth. No, it says in the beginning there was nothing, and that's why the big bang theory is so stupid. It really is. I mean, what in the beginning there was nothing that exploded. I told y'all last week, I'm not the brightest bulb in the lamp, but I ain't the dimmest either. In the beginning, nothing exploded? Doesn't make sense. Look at verse 4. Something struck me about verse 4. Notice it tells us that God divided, or some of your Bible says God separated the light from the darkness. Here we are already in the first book of the Bible In the first five verses, God is already showing us that there needs to be a separation. That separation is important. God separated the light and the darkness and God saw that it was good for them to be separate. Christian, it is good for you to be separate. Somebody say amen. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen and fifteen. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Write this down john three nineteen through twenty and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what saints. Evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. There are certain things that you can't mix together. Are you listening? There are certain things that you cannot mix together. Oil and water. Christianity and non Christianity. Amen. I don't care how cute he is. If you're not a Christian, got to go. I ain't get too many amens here, but that's all right. Uh-huh. I don't care how cute she is. She might be fine. But if she ain't a Christian, she got to go. I'm trying I'm trying. In the first chapter of the first Bible, God is already telling us you can't mix light and darkness. And here's your takeaway on day one of creation. God didn't use a big bang to create the universe. He didn't use already existing particles that were floating around in space. As a matter of fact, there was no space. There was no time. The words in the beginning signify the creation of time. God created time for the benefit of man, not for himself. He is outside of time. Before the beginning, There was only God. So what question, I'm coming in for a landing right here. What is God's purpose in making everything? What is the goal in the end and the reason? What's the divine priority? Obviously, God created everything with very specific plan in mind. Everything from creation to consummation is part of one great divine plan. There is not one hostile molecule that operates outside of the plan of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. History will end exactly the way God wanted to end, but only when God's plan is complete. So what is the grand purpose? What is God doing? Why did he create this universe? Why did he create the earth? Why did he make man? What's the point of it all? Listen, I believe, honestly, I believe, oh, I believe. One reason, one word, redemption. I believe redemption. The word redemption means to buy back out of a slave market of sin. And when Adam and Eve fell, then God put a plan in motion to redeem us back to himself. Why? Grace. Grace. God loves you. God's not mad at you. God loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And all you need to do is respond to that by giving your heart to him and say, Lord, thank you for loving me. I love you back. Another more insulting than loving somebody and they don't love you back. Didn't somebody write a song about that. God loves you. God wants you to love him. And so God wants to redeem you and to buy you back. The goal for God is to gather all the redeemed people for his glory, for the purpose of worshiping him forever. Every part of creation is intended to focus on the purpose of redemption. The work of redemption is not incidental. It's the reason why the universe exists. It's the reason why there is a supporting life system for man. Even the heavens declare the glory of God so that men might Be led to redemption. Don't you understand that when you look up in the sky and you see the sky, you're supposed to go, oh, well, there's a creation. There must be a creator. And then God touches your heart and you give your heart to him and he's redeemed you. Everything about creation is putting you and funneling you to this place of redemption. Everything. And then Psalm 150, verse 6, I'm finna close. Psalm 150 verse six says, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord, every molecule in the created material universe and every spiritual entity, whether it's a demon or a human, fits into God's plan of redemption. And we argue about creation and evolution and eternal security and the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and God doesn't care nothing about none of that. All God cares about is that souls are saved.